Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiative podcast. I'm Chelsea Killick and I'm joined today by my colleagues Oliver Hardwich and Eric Crampton. Hello. Hello. Morning. Right, we want to talk about the government's carbon reduction plan. We've heard a lot about the government's plan this week, but as I understand you guys are particularly livid about what the government's wanting to do about transport. What's happening? Perhaps Eric, you'd like to go first? Well, sure. So if we step back to the big picture, we've got a goal of getting to net zero by 2050. So it's net rather than gross, and it's by 2050. There are all kinds of ways to get there. We do have an emissions trading scheme. The prices in the emissions trading scheme should be guiding a lot of behavior. So in the big picture, you'd expect that there would be a lot of changes in transport just guided by expectations of rising carbon prices. We already see expectations of rising prices baked into the futures markets. There will be changes that come in transport. They would be driven by the emissions trading scheme all on their own. The emissions reduction plan is a little different than that. So we've shifted a little bit in targets. They note a reduction in vehicle kilometers traveled as being an independent target rather than just reductions in emissions. So big picture, the government should be agnostic about where emission reductions come from. If you have a carbon price affecting all of these sectors, emission reductions happen in the places where it makes sense for them to happen. Targeting transport emissions on their own would be a bit of a mistake because you could wind up paying far more for emissions reductions in that sector compared to other sectors. And that'd be a mistake because it means that you do less good than you could. But targeting vehicle kilometers traveled rather than transport emissions is even worse, right? Like if everybody shifted to EVs, then you would still be trying to reduce vehicle kilometers traveled. It seems like a war on private transport and cars rather than anything else. Oliver? Yeah, I completely agree with Eric. I mean, as Eric said, if you're expecting petrol prices to reach 5 or $6 in a few years' time, that will change the kind of vehicle choice you make today. So we could actually just wait for the ETS to have this effect, and I think it will have an effect over time. By the way, the fact that we are not actually seeing a big shifts in transport just yet actually also demonstrates that it's really hard to cut emissions in transport and other industries might actually go ahead until we get to transport. Anyway, if the ETS just plays out over the next few years, we will see changes. We will also see changes because there are international developments, of course, on EVs, on alternative fuels, on synthetic fuels, on hydrogen. So all of these changes are happening around the world and at some stage they will have an impact here. It will happen with the ETS, with these developments. What the government's doing is they are doing all sorts of changes on top of these existing changes, on top of the ETS, that simply don't make any sense. And they just reveal the government as what it is, namely not too concerned about carbon emissions, really, but really very anti-car. Mm. Because if to the government it doesn't even make a difference whether you're driving an EV or an internal combustion engine car, they still want to stop you from driving regardless. That reveals what they're really about. And and it make, makes messes, right? So if you go through the plan, they talk about some of the measures that they might undertake to try and reduce vehicle kilometers traveled. They want tier one and tier two cities to come up with plans for reductions in vehicle kilometers traveled by the end of the year. Now, you would expect that there will be fewer kilometers traveled as carbon prices increase, and that would happen on its own. Trying to target it directly can can cause some problems. Some of the instruments that they talk about are, for example, parking fees. Now, there's a non-crazy way of doing this, and there's a crazy way of doing this. And one of the problems you get into is the classic Mott and Bailey attack, right? Where, just stepping back a little bit, Mott and Bailey is you've got this defensible core proposition that actually makes sense. You defend that position, it's totally sensible, but then you extend out into the broader field making a bunch of ludicrous policies, And when people attack you for the ludicrous stuff, say, oh, well, I only really meant the defensible part. 
The defensible part is parking should be priced. You should set parking prices that people expect that about 5 to 10% of parking spaces are empty at any given time. That way you don't have people having to circle fruitlessly trying to find a parking spot. You save people time and you reduce inefficient uh, emissions, right? And the point of the policy isn't to reduce emissions. It's to make sure that parking, the scarce resource, is priced properly. That's defensible. Totally support that. Everywhere should be doing it. Same with congestion charging. Absolutely. Then the crazy part is trying to use parking charges to reduce vehicle kilometers traveled. Reducing vehicle kilometers traveled would be an outcome of a sensible parking policy. But if you try to use it to target reductions in vehicle kilometers traveled, you would be just increasing prices by a whole lot, right? Maybe you want to have 50% of spaces empty because you're just pricing people out of parking to try and force them into other modes of transport. Now, that maybe that could be a second best if you didn't have a price on carbon already working through the emissions trading scheme. But we've got that, right? You don't need to be adding on these additional hammers, bludgeoning people into changing behaviors. And by the way, the changes we're talking about are not trivial. So they want to reduce 20% of the vehicle kilometers traveled by 2035. And considering that the population will also yeah. continue to increase, so that means maybe a 25 or 30% reduction in vehicle kilometers traveled per person. So this means even your 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 monthly holiday away, you're not you know you've got to reduce all these sorts of things. Or well, not? at the moment, um, it's an abstract figure that doesn't prescribe to you precisely what you're going to do. It leaves it um, basically to individuals to make a decision whether you want to take the bus to work rather than the car, whether you cut your holidays or whether you take fewer trips to the supermarket. But I tell you something, if that doesn't work, um, then of course we are already on the path where the government is in the future going to prescribe that kind of stuff for you. Okay, I can understand now why you both live it about this. I think we might be on a different path. It'd be more that if you ran sensible policies, those policies could be sustained across changes in government. I would hope and expect that a different government coming in would reverse the stupidest parts in here. I think you're a little bit too optimistic here, Eric, because it is not just dependent on the politicians in place. This is actually something designed by the public service. So the public service doesn't change, unfortunately, the moment we have a change of government. And this whole document is drawn up by legions of public servants who are all thinking they're doing the right thing. Yeah, it's horrible out there. So you, I talked to other economists who work on these kinds of issues. One of them talks with councils about some of their longer-term plans. And they're seeing submissions from government agencies now opposing greenfield developments on the basis of carbon stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, transports in the emissions trading scheme... All of those, all of those tons of carbon are fully accounted already, right? And we've got a massive housing shortage. In some places, greenfield developments make sense. Like you want to enable all kinds of development, right? Not just greenfield, enable everything. But if you're getting central government agencies putting in submissions against housing in a housing crisis, justified by climate stuff around carbon that's already fully accounted in the emissions trading scheme, I, it's thwarting the government's housing agenda in pursuit of something that won't make any difference on climate. And why stop there? Because in the future, we might actually, the zoning rules for schools a bit more strict because um, that would stop uh, the school run and it would actually uh, reduce the vehicle kilometers traveled to the schools for the parents. You can see there is no end to this. Once you start from bad principles, you can go in very odd directions. We should prescribe which GP you are allowed to register with. It must be within four kilometers. Oh, you want the 15-minute city, eh? 
but I'm serious. You can see where this will go because once you're on that path, there is no stopping. It is all moving towards, well, to use Hayek's phrase, the road to serfdom. You start with the wrong premise and the rest leads to totalitarianism eventually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My understanding from this is that, yeah, the, the government's trying to control how many kilometers you should be driving. The government is trying to control our lives. This is just transport. I mean, yeah. the whole document is more than 300 pages and transport is what? Maybe a tenth of that, if at all. The government is really trying to control all our lives in every aspect. Right. Everything so, will be subjected to a carbon test. So for, for listeners out there, what, what do you suggest? Well, I What's think everybody ideas? has to recognize that a lot of the measures under the ERP, the Emissions Reduction Plan, will not reduce net emissions. We're all on the same page. We want to reduce net emissions. Okay, Parts of government aren't on the same page. They only care about gross emissions, and they think trees are bad because they reduce net emissions. Those parts of government are crazy. If you think that it is crazy to ban planting trees when you're trying to reduce emissions, you're not the crazy one. The Wellington people are the crazy ones. Don't think that you're nuts. Everybody else is gaslighting you on this. So recognize that a lot of the policies that are being pushed for nominally laudable ends will not be effective, will not achieve the ends that are desired, and will be really costly. Oh, and don't believe any commentators now complaining that this was just a very timid plan and it should have been harder and harsher. This is quite a harsh plan. They leave the details for later, okay, fine, but the direction of travel is clearly visible. Yeah, they're setting us on the wrong path. Uh, what you would want to have, like what, what I was hoping for out of this is, it, there's, there's some things you could do, right? So you could say, here's the amount of quantum of emissions that we're happy to see from now till 2050 and future emissions budgets will draw from that quantum of emissions. Like that'd be pretty neat, right? Then you would have not just a binding cap in the sense that the government only issues so many credits per year, but also binding on the path to 2050. And that could easily account for any stockpiled units that people complain about and get really nervous about. Set that, get an agreement from National on how much in total would be allowed over that time path That'd be great, right? We would then know the amount of net emissions that we would have from now till 2050. Done. Solved. It'd be, it'd be great. I didn't I didn't see that in there. Well, um, that kind of emissions reduction plan would have probably taken two pages A4. Well, if you run it that way, then it doesn't really matter how much is released by the government in any particular year. The futures prices will end up mopping it up, right? So, By the way, I'm not being flippant. I mean, yeah. it would take two pages A4. The whole thing, actually, is once you've got that plan in place, we've got an emissions trading scheme already, the government's role is done. The government should step out of the way that we have a document running over more than 300 pages really demonstrates that this government is intent on running our lives and controlling us every step of the way. It'd be more than two pages because ag isn't in the ETS, right? So they do talk about uh, investments in R&D around agriculture, and that could actually reduce net emissions because agriculture isn't in the ETS. Okay, five pages. Yeah. Problem though is we still have uh, bans on biotech stuff, and that's the most promising way of reducing emissions in agriculture. But the problem is really they're doing everything. They are now preparing us for massive corporate welfare. I mean, we talked about this on the podcast a few weeks ago. We're going to get more of that. It will be a gigantic slush fund, actually financed out of emissions uh, trading revenue. And um, it will be used to just pay companies left, right and centre for all sorts of things that they will be doing anywhere under the ETS. Right, like replacing old coal boilers. And it will also be used to pay individuals, of course, for some of the choices they make. I mean, look at the cash for clunker scheme. Seriously, don't get me started. I mean, I thought we had this madness and this nonsense in the GFC in a number of countries, including the US, including Germany. And we have seen the results of these schemes. They were horrible. 
on every single front. And now we're getting the same stuff again, this time under the guise of carbon reduction. Is this something that's suggested as well? Yes, they're trialing it initially um, with, I think, just two and a half thousand vehicles for a few hundred million dollars or something like that. But, I mean, it's, it's just the beginning. You can see where this is going. By the way, this is another example of progressive intervention. So we already have the fee-bait scheme, I think whatever it's called, clean car discount scheme. And because they've realized that only upper middle class people can even afford a new Tesla, they now want to plug that gap in the market and also support people on lower incomes. So the whole thing will probably be means tested. We're still waiting for the details. And then it's a cash or clunker scheme. I mean, it's madness until everybody gets subsidized for choices that they would have to make anyway. Is this political? I mean, how is this going to affect most Kiwis? Most Kiwis won't have a choice. Um, They will just have to live with the consequences, unfortunately. So is it going to cost more for Kiwis every day? I'm I'm hard-pressed to know whether it's just dishonest on the part of the government or whether they are deeply distrustful of national. So if I had to come up with the least stupid argument in favor of some of the things that they're doing, and I try to do that because it introduces some rigor into your thinking, right? So the least stupid argument that I can come up with for all of these things that are being done that are already covered by the ETS runs kind of as follows. Suppose that you imagined that a future national government would be far more reactionary, would abandon the net zero goal. They, they wouldn't just not like the measures undertaken. They would say net zero is stupid, it's too costly, we don't care about, the, about climate emissions, and maybe it'll be a net positive for New Zealand anyway if we have a little bit of warming because the weather will be nicer. So we're going to abandon net zero. Imagine that that were your deep down view about what National was all about, despite their having come in in behind on the net zero legislation, and despite that popular opinion certainly isn't there. Imagine that that was your theory of National. You would then want to lock in a whole pile of stuff that would make it really hard to undo measures later on. So you would want to force people into cars differently earlier so that Even if you had a change in government later, well, you've got all of these structural changes that have happened. So the marginal cost of emissions has gone up. Lower emission lifestyles are just cheaper because they've done all this forcing through regulation during this period when there's a political will for it. But like, how cynical is that, right? You're saying that despite National having come in, agreeing to the goal, supported it entirely, you're you're wanting to pursue a pile of policies that are just incredibly cost ineffective unless there's some background worry that national is going to come in and undo all of that. And there's no hint of that. Actually, I think that is probably too complicated. I don't think the government really has such a sophisticated plan to prevent future. Well, probably government. not. I try and come up with yeah, the, yeah. like, what is the most defensible <laughs> version of what they're doing? Okay, then let me play devil's advocate. I think the government doesn't think in this kind of sophisticated way. And in any case, uh, it would be a very unrealistic view of national because when was the last oh, yeah. time that national actually abolished something that was stupid in the first place? I agree. So it's totally unrealistic on part of the government to think that National would correct the mistakes. They would double down. Well, I kind of hope that National will at least reverse the things that are proposed in the emissions reduction plan that do nothing to reduce emissions cost effectively. Maybe that's a different explanation. My impression is actually, having talked to politicians across the divide, that they actually deep down understand how the ETS works and they're doing the other stuff regardless. And I think the reason for that is simply that they know that nobody else understands the ETS and therefore they want to be seen as doing something. And so the Greens um, are doing all sorts of policies now to play to their base, to their grassroots, just to show, hey, we're really serious about this, we're doing stuff. And deep down, the politicians themselves know that none of this makes any sense. So they're playing to their bases. Uh, That's possible. I I try and... Isn't isn't that a public choice explanation? 
it would be great if there were a better public understanding of how the ETS worked. You might get better policies out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was what I think I asked earlier about. Do people in New Zealand understand the ETS? No. No. Mm. Like we look at cash for clunkers. It in America, if you translate into current dollars, that scheme costs between two hundred and forty-five and seven hundred and seventy-two dollars per ton of carbon dioxide mitigated through the scheme. The current ETS price is around eighty bucks. You could do between three and ten times as much good in re- reducing net emissions by buying back credits from existing stockpiles and shredding them while committing to not reduce not not producing more credits in future, right? Top said it. You, you do a hell of a lot more good just by doing that rather than through the program. But they won't think about it. I mean, seriously, have you ever heard our arguments about the ETS on the six o'clock news? I don't watch the six o'clock news, so mm. I have no. no I don't really want my kids seeing that crap. <laughs> I sometimes watch them out of curiosity, and I can tell you that our arguments would probably be a bit too sophisticated for the typical kind of 60-second segment. Right. Okay, just quickly, what next? What can we say or do about this, or what, what happens next with this um, reduction plan? I, I guess we are a bit of a broken record on these matters, but, but we have to be because nobody else is saying it. But just because nobody else actually joins the debate on our side doesn't mean that we are wrong. Mm. It's just that um, matters are a little bit complicated initially to explain, and that's why politicians will never even try. Yeah, so it'll be watching for the measures that come in for it, continuing to pressure government that they produce some evidence of the cost-effectiveness of any of the policies that they're undertaking under the ERP, trying to encourage cost per ton accounting, just give us evidence that this is going to reduce emissions at cost that is not massively higher than the current price in the ETS. Because that, anything that's like that is just stupid. You should be reducing the cap in the ETS first to find more cost-effective savings, right? Knowing that the cost has to be infinite by definition if it's under the cap. Well, yes. Now the government, well, okay. The government will always argue that the measures allow them to cut the cap faster, and so they have cut the cap faster in response to whatever measure they put They can in. Cut, cut, well, cut the exactly, cap any time. Right? So the correct measure then is, okay, what's, what's the cost per ton of this? And if it is higher than the current ETS price, you would want to just cut the cap without the policy. Mm-hmm. If it is lower than the current ETS price, you might want to check, check your numbers because it implies that there's a $5 bill sitting on the sidewalk that nobody has picked up, that there's some opportunity for reducing emissions at less than the current carbon price and that nobody's gone for it yet. Mm-hmm. And that, and maybe there are, right? Maybe there are some market failures that are stopping it, but you would need to actually check that. It's not very plausible though. It's not very plausible. We should have a pretty high hurdle on checking the evidence on this stuff, but it's not impossible, right? My worry is that we're going to be doing things that cost $3,000 per ton. Mm-hmm. I think for me, like many New Zealanders think, well, this is a really not not such a good timing either with the cost of living issues and, and spending billions of dollars on things that un, aren't necessary. I mean, yep. a lot of Kiwis won't understand this ETS. And I mean, obviously I was one of them until I've sort of sat down with you two. But for future generations, is this actually going to change? Is a climate change reduction plan, is it going to do anything? The only thing that reduces emissions within the covered sector is reductions in the ETS cap. Right. Now, some of the things in the plan, like research on on ag to get uh, lower emissions in agriculture, agriculture isn't within the cap, 
that in principle could help reduce things. And it's one of the things that I've suggested, like for the past decade at least on the blog. If you're doing R&D, there's very little chance that New Zealand is going to be bending international cost curves on batteries or solar or things like that. Where do we have an advantage? Ag research. We've got a lot of pastoral agriculture. We've got some expertise in it. If New Zealand were to develop lower emission pastoral systems that it could then allow other countries to use on a royalty-free license, that could actually bend global curves, right? You could have effects not just in New Zealand, but anywhere else that the pastoral systems would, would also work. So it isn't crazy to think that that kind of thing could help. It's a good policy. The, the rest of it, not so well, it would also require that we get rid of the bans on biotech, right? Because right? it's impossible to do research on the stuff here now. And that's also something I've complained about for a decade. It's gotten a little bit more, more popular now, but. The rest of it might actually contain the seeds of its own destruction. So if these policies spiral out of control, if they become so costly that ordinary people realize what's going on, it, there might be a backlash in 10 or 15 years time where people say, hey, this was all a big mistake. Um, why do we even have to invest in climate change and carbon reduction technologies and, and programs? Um, let's just basically kill the whole thing and go back to life as it was. Well, that's where we get into self-fulfilling prophecies, right? So if if my best possible explanation for why they, they might be doing this was the one that they worry that National might reverse things, and I was viewing it as pretty cynical, they could wind up engineering that outcome, right? If they commit us to crazily expensive ways of, of achieving this, there will be the voter backlash saying that, well, yeah, we would like to net zero, but not if we're going to be bankrupted as a country. So then the, that brings the whole goal into question. Except I wasn't finished. Um, what I was actually going to say is, rather than risking this outcome in 10 or 15 years' time, why not go for the more efficient technologies Well, that'd be now better, right? Exactly, yeah. to keep people on track, where people say, hey, we're doing something on our carbon emissions, we're bringing them down to net zero, the whole thing is affordable, it is not going to break the economy, we can live with that, through things with a carbon dividend initially, for example. So actually, this would be a lot more sustainable to have more efficient policies that actually win people over. Yeah for carbon reduction, rather than having these super expensive policies where in 10 or 15 years, people will revolt. Well, they're trying to bribe them with uh, fee-bait schemes instead and uh, cash for clunkers. It, it's an odd set of bribes. And and working with economists here, I mean, you would understand that, but a lot of Kiwis wouldn't. All right. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share? We've only talked about transport. <laughs> we could talk about the other 320 pages in a future podcast. Oh, right. I think we should leave it there then. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, well, thanks very much for listening. Thank you, Oliver and Eric, for sharing your thoughts. Until next time. <laughs>